Tony, that song was written for 
If you've ever been to a Sunday Jubal concert, we use multiple guys to sing solos, but there are very few songs where Dr. Duncan will use the same individual for that song. I think of Midnight Cry and Ron Carter, who used to serve as a minister of music at First Baptist Statesboro, who's now over in the music uh, ministry for the state of Georgia. But then I think about that song, and I think about Tony. Uh, Tony was a husband, a father, he was a friend. Uh, most importantly, Tony was a child of God. Tony and I got to be roommates. Uh, back in 2012, we went to China and North Korea. And Tony, let me just tell you, Tony was a hit in China. Tony was a hit in China because the children had never seen a man like Tony Hamilton and the children would gather towards him. And he just had this spirit and this sweet spirit about him. Uh, when we got a chance to go see the Great Wall in China, there were these shops along the way to get to the first set of stairs, and there was this opportunity to dress as a samurai. So Tony wanted to dress as a samurai. Again, this is quite a sight. A lot of folks were taking this picture. But here's the thing, the funniest part of this whole thing, me and his roommate, I felt necessary to capture the whole process. The best part was watching these two ladies try to put that outfit on that man. I mean, just watching them try to get him on, and he just went with it, and he went with the flow. Here's the thing about Tony. Tony was the first person, the first friend of mine to pass away to COVID. Tony passed away in August of 2020. And I remember when he started feeling sick, and we were in the hospital, and things were going in a positive direction, and things just drastically changed. But there will be three things I always heard about Tony. His smile, his voice, and the fact that he was a child of God. And in that video that was shared, and I apologize for it not being the best, but did you catch what he said at the end of that song? He made the statement, that on July 20th, 1975, his sins were washed away. That was the day he asked Jesus Christ into his heart. And about the transformation, I got to think about what kind of what about other individuals who have made that that transformation, that change. I read a story about a, a time during the Billy Graham crusade in Houston, Texas. There was a gentleman who owned a liquor store. He went and heard Billy Graham preach the gospel. The next morning, he put a sign on his liquor store that said, out of business. Because he had been saved. And he didn't want to carry on that same kind of business. I read about another man who had gone to an evangelistic service. And everybody around him in town called him Old John. Because Old John was notorious for being the town drunk. A couple days later, somebody saw old John, and they called him by that moniker, and he said, I am no longer old John. Who are you talking to? I am new John, because I've been born again. I've been changed. And then one of the funnier stories that I read was about a fellow who used to tie his horse to the post outside of the saloon. And he had gone and been doing this for years. And one day, the owner of the saloon saw the same fellow that he had taken his horse and tied him to the hitching post of the Baptist church. And so he wanted to know, what's going on? Why are you hitching your post there? And he said, well, I heard the gospel and I've changed. And I'm going to hitch to something better. 
Here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel has the power to change. The gospel has the power to transform. And these are just a few stories of people who have been changed, how they've changed their life, and they've changed the way they want to live their life, and they're hitching their life to the gospel. They're hitching their life to the Son of God. And when you make that change, there's going to be something different about you. I love this statement I found by Charles Stanley. He said this, Something has gone wrong when someone who professes faith in Christ continues to live according to the same sinful pattern exhibited before salvation. Charles Stanley says that when you're changed, you should be living a different life. And it doesn't make any sense to live the same life you used to live before if you call yourself a child of God and profess faith in Jesus Christ. We've started this series about questions. These questions that are about eternity. And we looked last week at the question of what does it mean to be lost? And we used the illustration of the walking dead. The walking dead are those who are spiritually dead in Christ. They are spiritually lost. They are separated from Christ for eternity. But as the passage we read last week, we saw those two words, but God. Because last week we learned that God changes everything. So last week we talked about what it means to be lost. This morning we're looking at what it means to be saved. And I wanted to use the idea of washed away. What does it mean to have our sins washed away? Take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Paul shares with the reader the before and the after of an individual's life. And it's in this section of Scripture I think we're going to understand this idea of being washed away. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Paul says these words, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor robbers, nor executioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, as such were some of you. If you're a person who marks your Bible, I would put a parenthesis around that statement. Which were some of you. Because look what he says there in that same verse, verse 11. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, we see what it means to be saved. We're told about the unrighteous in verses 9 through 10. And we see that list. But notice what Scripture does. He gets to verse 11. And he says, as which some of you were. Some of you were like this. You acted this way. You did these things. But there in verse 3 says, but you. And then we fill in the blanks from there. But you were. And as we get to that, it's a continuation of the sentence. But he's indicating to his readers, who are us today, who were the church at the time, that you once lived according to these sins. But you have now been transformed. Your sin has been washed. Your sins have been removed. This morning I want to look at three points that we see in verse 11. What it means to be washed. 
this morning. The first is this. Washed means to be cleansed from sin. Washed means to be cleansed from sin. Scripture says, but you were washed. It's a break between where you were before and what follows after. We're looking this morning as the cleansing from sin that leads to forgiveness of sin. When Jesus Christ saved you, He forgives our sins. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are washed and made new. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Just have a few scriptures to look at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In here we find this encouragement. What does it mean to be washed? What does it mean to be cleansed from sin? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We read these words. In Him, being Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. This equates forgiveness with redemption. The first step in forgiveness of sin is to realize our need for forgiveness. In order to ask for forgiveness, you have to acknowledge that you were a sinner, that you are a sinner. That apart from Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from Him. So you acknowledge that you need forgiveness. You acknowledge that you need to be cleansed from your sin. But here's the issue. The greatest hindrance to salvation, the greatest hindrance to somebody asking Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior is simply this. They don't think they need it. They think they're good enough as they already are. They think they've got everything figured out. They think they've got everything under control. And they don't see their need for salvation. They don't see their need for a Savior. We see all these things listed in verses 9 and 10. But Paul says, as some of you were. He's saying, you used to be like this, but now you are like this because your sins have been forgiven. How? Because you've been washed and made clean. But what does that look like? Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 1. One more passage of Scripture to look at as we get back into our main section of Scripture this morning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. What is this forgiveness? How does this forgiveness come about? How do we experience it? How does it happen? We read again these words, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And John writes these words, and he says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, and there's our word, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You have been cleansed from your sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget. Don't ever use it as a crutch to think that because you've been washed, you can still act the same way you used to. No, but because if you've been cleansed from your sin and your sins have been washed away, there should be something different about you in your actions, in your attitude, the way you do things. So the reminder is this, to be washed means to be cleansed from sin, but here's the second thought. Washed means to be set apart for service. Washed means to be set apart 
for service. Going back to 1 Corinthians 11, I mean 6, verse 11. Notice the word in there, in verse 11, chapter 6. You were washed, but the second thing is, but you were sanctified. Sanctified is a key word there. Sanctified means to be saved. It means that our sins are forgiven. Because along with forgiveness comes sanctification, which means to separate or to set apart. Sanctified means you move from this group to this group. And it's a very unique group. You have been set apart. When God saved you, He set you apart from the world to use you. He set you apart to be used by Him. The verb we see, the tense there, is the same word for wash. It's this idea to be sanctified. It's a divisive action. It's an action taken by God at a specific point. At the time that you say yes to Jesus Christ, God not only forgives you, but He sets you apart for service. God doesn't save you to sit on a pew. You are not saved to take up space. You are saved to be used by God. Every one of us has a gift we use to serve God. Some of them is teaching. Some of them is in music. Some of them is greeting others. Some of them is writing cards to people. Some are making phone calls. Some are just hanging out here and there. But you are set apart for a purpose. You're not just saved to stand there and look pretty. God doesn't say you're saved. Don't do anything else. He says, I have saved you for a purpose. I read about the auto car manufacturers back in World War II. They went from making cars to making planes and tanks to help with the war effort. They changed their purpose when the war started. They didn't keep doing the same thing. They realized that there was a different purpose the machines they used to make cars are not making things to help our military. So it is when a person is saved, the entire purpose of his or her life is changed. It is a huge change. Again, because sanctification is an act that only comes from God. And it comes in the moment you say yes to Him. The moment you say yes to Jesus, he sets you apart for service to Him. Think about in Scripture. Think about those who read in Scripture who were set apart for service because they came to know Him as Savior. I think about Paul. We've been doing a lot with Paul. But think about it. Had he never had that encounter on the Damascus Road, if he had never allowed his sins to be washed away, he could not write the letters we read in the New Testament. He could not have led the church to move forward unless he allowed God to work in his life and set him apart. I think of the disciples. The disciples were set apart for service to God. And we see that all through Scripture. But remember this, that word sanctification in Scripture, it's a process. It's not one and done. Right now, as you live in this world, you're going through the process of sanctification as a child of God. You're growing in your faith. You're growing in your walk. You're learning what it means to be a child of God. You're not just there to be there. You're there to be used by Him. 
So when we're washed, our sins are cleansed. When we're washed, we go through this process of sanctification. But here's the third one. Washed means justified. It means to be justified by God. That you were washed, that you were sanctified, that you were justified. In the name of Jesus our Lord and by the Spirit of God. The word justification is another term that Paul is talking about and expressing salvation. Even as God saved you, He set you apart. He justified you because you accepted His Son as your personal Savior. You were justified before a holy God. The word justification basically means to show right or to pronounce right. To show right or to pronounce right. But if we're honest, that definition that definition doesn't capture what this really means. God does not just pronounce us right. He makes us right in His eyes. That's the nature of salvation, the nature of new birth. Because in justification, God does for us what we cannot do ourselves. In justification, we can't stand and say, I'm holy. But I can stand before a Holy Father and He can call me justified because I'm His child. But what does that mean? This idea of justification. A couple of thoughts here. Notice that it is sinners who are justified by God. It's the sinners who are justified by God. And what I mean by that is you go back to that list in verses 9 and 10. These are the very people Paul had just talked with and had shared with him what faith means. It's the sinner who is justified by God, not the other way around. It's God who says that you're one of mine. You're my child because you accepted my son. But also see this, it is by faith. It is by faith. Because throughout Scripture we see Paul Contrast justification by works and justification by faith. We are justified. We are made right before God on the condition of our faith in Him. Do I believe that God is who He says He is? Do I believe that Jesus went through what He did for me on the cross? Or do I try to justify myself and try to make my faith my own thing? Martin Luther was climbing the steps of the Celica Sancta. These are the steps that would take him to the seat of Pope, the head of the church. Tradition said that as you walked up those steps, you had to kiss every step on your way up. I can tell you right now, that wouldn't work for me. Number one, the back wouldn't let me do it. But number two, the story goes that Martin Luther is working his way up these steps, kissing every step, and then this thought dawns on him. He remembers the words of Scripture, and he's reminded that Scripture says that the just shall live by faith, not by acts, not by words. So the story goes that Martin Luther had made his way halfway up when he had this, this thought that the just live by faith. And the story goes that he stood up and walked back down the stairs, reciting those words, the just shall live by faith, not by action, not by works, by faith. 
Because at least that last little thought, that justification by faith is based on Christ's work for us. That's the basis for justification. Because notice what Scripture says there in verse 11. It says that you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. God does the work. Yet we still wrestle with accepting this free gift because we think we have to earn it. We think we have to work for it. We think that we have to jump through hoops to get what God is offering us for free. We think there's a cost more than just Jesus died on the cross for our sins. A preacher was trying to explain to a minor that salvation was a free gift of God, but this minor couldn't figure it out. He wasn't getting it. He kept telling the preacher, it's got to be more to it. It's got to cost me something. So one day the preacher went to go visit the miner, and the miner was going to show him where he worked. And they got ready to get in the elevator to go down deep into the earth. And as the preacher was coming to him, he asked the miner, how much will this cost me to go see where you work? And the miner said, it doesn't cost you anything. And the preacher said, that's too cheap. I'm not going to ride on anything that's cheap looking at this elevator. And the miner got upset. The miner said, this elevator costs $25,000. That's how much the company paid for this elevator. And the preacher said, I understand it cost me nothing, but it did cost someone else a great price. It was at that moment, the miner, the light bulb clicked. And he understood what the preacher had been telling him about the cost of salvation. It didn't cost you anything. It cost Jesus Christ everything. It cost his life on the cross. It was his cost to bear. It was his cross to come and go upon. This is what it means to be saved this morning. It means we are forgiven. We are sanctified. We are justified. And these are all different aspects of the same act. Listen, the proof of Christianity lies in its power. The proof of Christianity lies in its power because it takes someone, the lowest person of humanity, and can transform them into an individual who is a trophy of God's grace. But the reason people won't accept this free gift is because they're struggling with their past. They've done something that they regret. And they think that's keeping them from accepting this free gift from God. And I'll remind you, I want to remind you this morning that when you say yes to Jesus, you are no longer to the slave to that sin you wrestle with. Are you still going to fight with sin? Yes. Are you going to struggle with sin? Yes. But you are no longer bound by it because somebody else has already paid the price. And that was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, as Scripture tells us here, your call is to reflect Him. You reflect the reality of what Jesus has done for you. You reflect the reality, reality of what God has done for you. And you rejoice in the knowledge that your sins are washed away. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Your sins are washed away. You have been sanctified. You have been justified because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. This morning I want to remind you that you can experience this 
this, of your sins being washed away. You can experience that this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this morning your sins can be completely gone away and gone away. It's accepting Jesus, but coming to Jesus just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get your life right before you come to a holy God. He takes you just as you are. But this morning, not only are there some here who may not know Him, whose sins have been washed away, there may be some this morning that have forgotten what it means to have your sin washed away. You may be following what Charles Stanley said. You know you've been saved, you know your sins have been cleansed, but you're still living like the old self. You're not living as your sins have been washed away, you're living still as the world. This morning you can get that right. This morning you can come to this altar and ask God to restore you. Remember, your sins have been washed, you've been sanctified, you have been set apart for work by Him. You've been set apart for a purpose. It's not what the old life, life was. It's this new life in Christ. So remember that you've been washed. Remember that you've been sanctified. Set apart. But also remember that you are justified. God looks at you if you are a child of His and He says, you're one of mine. And it simply happens when we say yes to Jesus Christ to be the first of us. So this morning, my prayer is as we sing a familiar hymn with a little bit of a twist, that you would do business with God this morning. That you would remind yourself that yes, if you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you have been washed. Those sins are no more. But you have been sanctified, you've been justified. But if you haven't made that decision, you can do that today. And if you've already made that decision, but you're still living the old life, you can come back and get things straightened out correctly with God's will. Father, as we move to a time of invitation, a time of response, the prayer is simply this, Father, that your will be done. That Father, Scripture tells us what, how our lives used to be, how we used to do things, how we lived our lives. But then Scripture says, but you changed everything. Father, thank you for that reminder this morning. We move to this time of response. Father, my prayer is that you move in the hearts of individuals. And again, we pray for your will be done at this very moment. We pray these things for such a precious moment. Amen.